1940, uh, there was an amazing event that took place. This is during World War II, and it's called uh, The Miracle of Dunkirk. And I'm sure many of you have heard of this story. There was a movie that came out recently. This story is an amazing one because here's what happened. The Allies, the, mainly the British forces, they, they were really surprised by Hitler and the Nazis. They did not expect such an amazing, incredible, well-organized fighting force. And so they were fighting, and they found themselves up against a force that was so overwhelming that it pushed them back, and they were surrounded. They found themselves surrounded on three sides with the English Channel behind them. They were surrounded by the Germans. And it was a, it was a really bleak day because literally this could have been the end of the war uh, for, for Great Britain, and, and Germany could have conquered uh, that uh, Great Britain and England. It was a, a dark day. In fact, Winston Churchill, the leader of England, he was literally ready to, he was writing uh, a newspaper article that, to put out about how 300,000 soldiers were going to be killed. It was, it was that much of a gloomy day. They were trapped. And many of you know that there was a rescue that took place, and, and it's an incredible story, but I don't know if you, do, if you know one of the most important details of that story. See, as these soldiers were trapped, as they felt like their world was coming to an end because this huge German army was coming in on them, the king of England called for a national day of prayer. In fact, all of the churches and all of the people went and they filled any room they could find and they prayed and cried out to God for one whole day committed to prayer. They prayed for deliverance for these soldiers. They cried out to God. And the answer to prayer that came is pretty incredible. When you start looking at the details, it's incredible. First, the, the, the ships of the Navy of, of Great Britain, they were able to get through and rescue some of the soldiers unscathed. That was the first thing. Like, wow, where, where are these German forces? They, they were able to make it and load up some of the soldiers. Then Hitler sent an order to halt. He told the German military to halt just out of the blue. All of his generals were so confused because they literally had the British right where they wanted them. They could kill them. And he said, halt, halt, don't, don't go. Randomly, right? He was paused. Also, the storms, uh, the, the weather was so severe that the, the air force of the Germans were unable to take off. So the Luftwaffe couldn't send uh, forces into the sky to attack the uh, British. Also, the British, uh, 800 vessels, private ships and boats from the mainland, citizens risked their lives to come rescue these men. 800 of them came in different ships and boats and probably kayaks, who knows. Also, the, the, the seas were calm that day, randomly, because it's usually really choppy in the English Channel, but that day was unusually calm. In fact, historians are baffled. They, even to this day, historians are baffled as to why the Germans didn't just go and wipe out the British. And the reality is, historians may be baffled, but we're not. Amen? We're not. See, power, the power is in the prayer. Prayer is powerful. And when we understand that, we begin to grasp how God works and, and, the, and the role uh, prayer plays in our lives. I know many of you have stories, personal stories, where you've seen prayer come through. One for me and, and my wife, Rachel, when we were in seminary, we were married for about a year, we were really scraping by. I mean, it was, we were struggling to get by financially. I was a seminary student full-time. She was working for the college, and we were living just really simple life, and we drove beater cars. And when I say beater, I mean like 
The one car I actually hydroplaned and wrapped around a tree one time, like the bumper, on my way to meet Rachel's parents for the first time. Story for another time. I'll get to that another time. But we're, and I was still driving that car, okay? It was, it was a beater, all right? We were driving beater cars, and they just went forever. But finally, they were coming to the end of their life, and they needed some work. And so we needed to get work done, and what, what seemed like, it was, seemed like it was this huge bill, this huge amount of money, and we had no idea how we were going to pay for this, and so we went to prayer. We said, God, we need these cars to get around, to get to our jobs, to get to school. Lord, can you please provide? And it wasn't a day or two later, $500 cash ended up in our mailbox. I know that you guys have a lot of amazing stories of prayer, where you've prayed and then you saw God show up. You saw God answer it in a tangible way. It, it fills what I call our faith bank. It's like a bank of, of these faith stories that we can put in, that we can pull from later when we're in a tough spot. We can say, look at what God did. It fills that faith bank in our lives. Prayer is powerful. And what, what I love, I love this, this truth, that prayer brings heaven into history. Prayer brings down God's will into history. When we pray, God moves, and he is working, and he invites us to pray. And so when we take time out of our days to come before the Lord and, and tap into that resource, into that prayer, God moves in big ways. And God is sovereign. God is in control. But somehow he has created prayer. He's given us the gift of prayer, and prayer makes a difference. It is a powerful, powerful tool God has given, and it brings his will into history. It brings down heaven into our everyday life. We're going to look at a story today, and you can turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 19. We're going to look at a story today that is such a powerful picture of prayer. So as you're turning to 2 Kings, here is a little bit of a background for you. So Israel has had such a crazy history. If you know about Israel and the Bible, they are up and down, up and down like a roller coaster. And this is a time when they were so far from God that, in fact, the kingdom is now divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so there's two kingdoms, and they are far from God, especially Israel. They are the furthest from God, and they are rebelling, and they turn to idolatry. And, and time and time again, king after king, they're wicked, and they pull the, the, the people of God, the children of God, further and further away from God himself. And pretty soon, they find themselves being attacked by the Assyrians. God allowed the Assyrian army, the biggest army, the biggest fighting force in the world at that time, to come and wipe out the kingdom and take exile. So Israel to the north, the kingdom to the north, has now been conquered, and the Assyrians have resettled the land, and so they're living right on the doorstep of Judah. And Judah, they're not perfect either. They have some wicked kings, and some, they go far from God. But then God had gifted them with some amazing leaders who would bring them back into communion with the Lord. And then they'd kind of fall away, and they'd bring them back into communion, into the right relationship with God. This is one of those stories of one of those kings that was that was focused on God. His name was Hezekiah. So enter Hezekiah. He is a, a godly king. In fact, he is so godly. Take a look at what the Bible says about him. It literally says, As Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. That's pretty high praise. For all the kings, all the godly kings in Judah, he, there was none like him. He stood out as different. 
He loved the Lord. He was committed to him. He cleansed the temple. There were, there were idols in the temple. He got rid of those idols. He brought the people back to God. He was devoted to the Lord, and he was bringing Judah, God's people, back to God. And then this really crazy thing happened. The Assyrians got kind of ticked at him. See, Hezekiah had decided that he was no longer going to serve the king of Assyria, that he was going to kind of pull away and devote themselves to the Lord. And so Assyria is ticked, and, and they, they don't like this, of course, and they want Judah to submit to them. And so it says this in 2 Kings 8.13, on the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So what we see is that all of a sudden, Hezekiah, things were going so well, and now he is faced with the biggest and the largest crisis of his life. He was challenged mightily by the Assyrians, and here they are threatening to invade Jerusalem. It is such a, a big deal for him, and how he acts is going to tell a lot about his character. So there's a couple things that happen, and, and, and we're going to get into the scripture that we're going to look at today that we're going to dig into. But again, I'm trying to just give you some context because there's a lot of scripture here. I want encourage you to read it. Go back and read chapter 18 and 19. It's a powerful story, and I wish we had time to go through it all. But here's what happens. Sennacherib sends, he sends some um, representatives of his, of his army, and basically they try to make a deal. They say, listen, if you just send us some men to join our army and submit to us again, we will, we will leave you alone. And then he says, okay, and then his, his men say, okay, well, actually, I'm gonna, we're going to try to manipulate you so that they use some manipulating taxes. They say, the Lord actually told us to come and destroy you. They, they say, Yahweh himself sent us. And then after that doesn't work, he comes, they come back, they, they, they say again, they say, listen, actually, you guys shouldn't trust Hezekiah. He is leading you down the wrong path. And so they're trying to manipulate they're trying to, to coerce him. They're trying to, to pressure him and the, the, the nation of Judah into submitting to Assyria. That's what they're trying to do. They're using bully and manipulating tactics. So here's Hezekiah. Things are going well. And now this big, bad army of the Assyrians is right on their doorstep threatening to invade, threatening to destroy, threatening to ruin. The Assyrians were invading and the leadership of Hezekiah, it was tested. It was threatened. And he had a lot on his plate, and he had a lot of decisions to make, and he was wrestling deeply with what to do. And I can only imagine how he felt. And I know for us, we aren't commanders of large armies, but we have our own overwhelming invasions and crises in our life, don't we? You know, maybe it's not an invading army of the Assyrians, but maybe it's a new cancer diagnosis. You know, stage four. And it's this overwhelming feeling. Maybe it's not an army that's, that's coming on your doorsteps to, to destroy you, but maybe it's adult children who have walked away from the faith. Maybe it's a community that is far from God and there's a need to go and bring the gospel forth into Avon Lake and the surrounding communities. Maybe it's not uh, um, an army ready to destroy, but maybe it is, it is drama in your friend group. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you are struggling in your marriage. We all have our own invasions and crises in our life, don't we? Life is hard. And if you've been around 
for any amount of time, you realize that there are going to be things in life that we are hit by, that hit us, that, that threaten us, that come on our doorstep and threaten to invade our lives. And so what are we going to do about it? How are we going to proceed and move forward? I think Hezekiah's story can answer that question for us. Because we have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of ideas for how to reach Avon Lake, what our church can be, how we can grow. And I know that we are struggling. We have all have struggles and hardships and things we're going to face and, and persecution and, and hardships in the community. And, and there's so much we're going to go through in life, and I know that it's true. So the reality is, how do we move forward? That's the question we got to ask. How do we move forward? How did he respond? Well, Hezekiah prayed. Hezekiah went to the Lord. Because pain is always an invitation to pray. So Hezekiah, we're going to see here, we're going to pray. And I, and I didn't forget, we're going to stand together and we're going to read. So go ahead and stand with me. And we're going to read here in 2 Kings. And um, we're, going to, we're going to dive into this text. 2 Kings 19, and we're going to start with verse 10. So again, remember, the Assyrians are right there on the doorstep. And Sennacherib decides to send one final letter to Hezekiah. One final plea, like, listen, man, I'm going to come in and destroy you. Here's one final plea to commit yourself to me, to surrender to me. So let's go ahead, and I'm going to read for us. It says, Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard that the king of Assyria have done in all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan and Haran, Rezef and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair and Serephane, Hena and Eva? Where are these gods, he says. Hezekiah received a letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. You may have a seat. There's a lot here, really, a lot of really powerful truths. I want to talk a little bit about Sennacherib and, and the guts this guy has. So what does he do? He literally comes to Hezekiah, and not, now he's moved beyond just mocking and, and manipulating Hezekiah. Now he is mocking the Lord himself. He's literally calling the Lord himself a liar. I love, I love what it says here, and, and, and it, just, it just scares me for this Sennacherib guy because he has it coming. <laughs> he says, do not let the God you depend on deceive you. Little side note, God can't deceive anybody, right? He's, there's no deception with our Lord. He calls him a liar. Not only that, he compares him to these other false gods. He says, all these false gods, earlier in, in, in the chapter, in, in chapter 18, he says, um, don't let, listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. 
Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Syria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seravim, Hena, and Irvah? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save this land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? He, he's lumping Yahweh in with these gods. Man, that has, takes guts. That takes guts. See, he had come across all these cities, and all these cities had relied on their idols and on their strength and on their gods, their little g-gods, to, to defend them and protect them. And what, what happened? They failed. They failed, right? They didn't come through. And so city after city, nation after nation, Sennacherib and his forces and all these Assyrian kings would come and wipe out nation after nation after nation, and they never could stand up to the Assyrians. And I know that we probably don't have carved statues in our homes. But that doesn't mean that we don't have idols. Think about it this way. What if, what if Sennacherib told the story a little bit differently? What if he said, I came across this city and they had incredible 401ks and retirement funds. And guess what? Up in flames. And they came across the next one and said, these people, they were so physically fit. They had the biggest, the best gym membership. They were all into CrossFit. And you know what? They, were, they looked so good in the mirror, destroyed. This, this city, they had all the money. They had every, all the money to buy whatever they wanted. It all burned anyways. Or, or this one, they had incredible family values, an incredible family, gone. Just, just sub out the idols we use for these graven images because the reality is we put our trust and we rely on so many things in our lives. And so Sennacherib says, listen, all these things, all, all these false gods, they, they can't stand up to me. And I gotta tell you this, the crises and the trials we face in life, those, those false Idols, those, those securities cannot stand up to them. We try on our own, don't we? We try, we, in America especially, the United States, we have incredible retirement funds and, and life insurance, and, and, I'm, and I'm not bashing on those things. Those are, it's good to be good stewards. But when we put our trust in those things fully, let me tell you what, we're all gonna end up six feet under at some point. This all comes crashing down at some point. And if we're not rooted in Christ, and if he is not our firm foundation, then when it all comes crashing down, what's left? Nothing. And so just like Sennacherib says, oh, these gods, they, they, were, they were supposedly mighty, and guess what? They couldn't stand up to me. It's important for us to think about what are the gods in our lives. Here's, here's one for me personally. I'm a hobby guy. I have a lot of hobbies. I, I bleed hobbies more than I can have time to do. But I use them as a way of escape. And, and when, in, in, un, in the unhealthy moments, I'm escaping from pain in my life when I go and, and do my hobbies. A good thing becoming a God thing is what an idol is. When we take a good thing, we drop an O and make it a small G God thing. That's idolatry. We make it a security in our life. We think we're okay. We think we, we have a robust health insurance plan. We can get through anything. But I'm telling you, we can't, our pocketbooks and our skills are no match for the, the chaos that life can throw. And let me just talk to you men for a minute. You know, we're Mr. Fix-It. We love to fix it. I know for me, I, I love to, if I can DIY myself out of any situation, I'm going to try, right? We have, to, we have to understand that if that's our propensity, if that's our, if that's our wiring, we have to separate that from our spiritual walk. 
We can't let that get in the way of how our, we depend on the Lord because there are plenty of situations in life, hardships we're going to go through, where we can't, we can't fix it ourselves. We have to rely on God. So let's look at Hezekiah. Let's see what he did, how he approached this situation, because I think we're going to learn something really powerful in this story. Just listen. I'm going to read here. Just listen again um, to, to verse 14 and 15. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. In Second Chronicles, 32, it also talks about the story. Second Chronicles, it literally says that he cried out in prayer. I want to talk about this idea, the idea that Hezekiah cried out. This is not a passive uh, saying, um, you know, saying grace for a meal, like, oh, Lord, like a, like a, a scripted prayer, like, Lord, thank you for this meal. Amen, all right, let's eat, you know. Um, I, there was a, a funny prayer that my friend would always say. He would say, um, he said, good Lord, good God, good meat, let's eat. And that was his prayer. That was, I thought that was pretty funny. It's not that kind of prayer, okay? Crying out. It is the idea of coming before the Lord, crying to him. It, it, is, it is a war cry. Okay, so when it says crying out, it says that he and Isaiah, the Hezekiah, went before the Lord and said, God, you have to show up and do something. And if you don't move, we are stuck. We are, we are doomed. It is not a passive prayer. It is active. When we cry out to God, it is going before the Lord. It is coming before him and saying, God, please, I beg you. Please move in this situation. And what he does is so powerful. He takes the letter. He takes the letter that he gets from Sennacherib. And what does he do? He goes before the throne. He goes into the temple and he lays it before the Lord. He lays it down and he says, Lord, here is what they are saying about you. He says, God, I'm crying out to you. Here is what we're faced with. I'm laying it to you because I cannot do it. You have to move. God, we are stuck. This huge army is so overwhelming. And if, if you don't do something, we are helpless. God, please move. He found himself in a situation that where if God didn't show up, they were, they were stuck. They were hopeless. There was nothing for them. He, he cried out to God. He laid it down. He said, Lord, please move. Please, God, I'm begging you. It's such a powerful posture of prayer. And if you look at 2 Kings 15, um, and uh, starting in verse 15 through 19, it says this, and I'm going to read this prayer. It's such a powerful prayer. It says, And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib that he has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, Lord, our God. I want to walk through some of this, this, prayer, this prayer that he prays. What does he do first? First, Hezekiah gives God the, the, the praise he 
is due. He prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above. He cries out to him. He says, a throned between the cherubim. You alone are God over the kingdoms of the earth. He understands his position, and he's crying. He's giving God the praise he is due. He's saying, God, first and foremost, I'm going to take time right now to glorify you for who you are. Remind me of my position, that I am nothing compared to you, Lord. I am going to commit myself to you, and I'm going to, to give you the glory. He takes that time. And then, and then he goes in, and he says, Lord, listen, listen closely. Open your eyes. Hear what Sennacherib is saying about you. He's saying, he's mocking you. He's lumping you into the other gods, and he's laying that before him. He's saying, God, take a look at what he's saying. God, he is, he is calling you a liar. He is mocking you. He, he, is, he is ridiculing you before the nations. God, do something about it. Let me just say this. We don't have to get offended for God. He's not getting offended for God. I think sometimes Christians, we get stuck into getting offended by God. Like that non-Christian says something like, how dare you? Like, I'm sorry, Lord, he, he didn't mean it. God doesn't need our defense. God's a big enough God, he can handle it. And we can't get upset when the world acts like the world. They need Jesus. And sometimes we get so caught up in trying to defend Jesus. I gotta defend him. I gotta defend him. There's a difference between defending Jesus and standing for Jesus. There's a big difference there. He's saying, God, listen, he, he, is, he is ridiculing you. And I'm laying this down, God, you will not be mocked, and I'm laying this at your feet. And then, after, the, after he gets through that, then, and then alone, is when he gets to the, the prayer, when he cries out to God. It is true, Lord, he says, the Assyrians have laid waste to these nations. They have thrown their gods in the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. So now he is praying for deliverance. Now he's praying, he's pleading with God, he's coming, he's on his knees, he's saying, Lord, please move, but here's the deal, I don't want you to move, Lord, so that I get the credit. I don't want you to move, Lord, so that we are safe. I don't want you to move, Lord, so that I'm a good king. I want you to move so that you get the glory, so that the nations know you are God. That was, I mean, that brought me to tears this week because I, I, I pray so often in my life, Lord, please, like, it's been a hard week. It's been a hard, you know, pray for this thing. And, and, and there's this selfish part of my heart that's saying, oh, man, like it's, I'm just really struggling. Like, be there for me. And I forget about God's majesty and his glory and that all that we should be concerned with is giving God the credit he is due so that when God shows up and moves, he gets the credit, he gets the glory, not us. And as Christians, that should be our posture. And I love Hezekiah's posture. As he approaches uh, the, the situation, as he approaches the throne at the temple with this letter, as he takes it before the Lord, he's saying, God, I'm doing this, and I'm crying out to you because I want you to get the credit. I want you to get the glory. It is such a powerful truth. God, please deliver us, he says. God, please show up. God, I'm begging you. I'm crying out to you. I'm going to battle. I'm fighting on my knees. And then I want to, I want to look at this real quick. 2 Kings 19, 20, verse 20. It says, this is what... Uh, then Isaiah saw, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, 
the God of Israel says, I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. In Isaiah 37, it talks about this passage, and it says, because you prayed. So that's the idea. I've heard your prayer because you prayed. Because you prayed, I heard your prayer, I am going to move. So in other words, God is saying, Hezekiah, one man, because you went before the Lord on your knees and you prayed to him, I am going to step into this situation and I am going to make a difference. I am going to move. Because prayer makes a difference. Prayer pulls down something God already predetermined to do. I love this verse in Isaiah 65. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. So in God's sovereign will, God in control of everything, yet he still invites us to pray. And he says, when you pray, it is pulling down from heaven my will into the world. I am inviting my people to pray. And so when Hezekiah went to battle on his knees and cried out to God, God said, I hear you, Hezekiah, and now I will move. Now I will step in. Now I will act. Now I will, I will fight for you. And I want you, I want you to just listen. I just want you to listen to this passage. Just, just sit there where you are and just listen. This is what God says. This is what he says um, in, in his words spoken to Sennacherib. This is the word of the Lord that was spoken against Sennacherib. This is so powerful. And this, gets, this should get you fired up. Man, this makes you want to run through a brick wall for Jesus. Virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. Daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord, and you have said, With my chariots I have ascended to the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, and choicest of junipers. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. And then God says this, have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In the days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are and when you come and when you go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because of your insolence, I has, has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. And then in, in verse 32, it says, and he will not enter this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of of David, my servant. Let's go. If you want to see God fighting for his people, take a look at that. I mean, seriously, if you need to read something that's like God's got my back and he is fighting my battles, read that every morning. That'll get you fired up. I, for one, am so excited to think about the idea that God is a God who is fighting for his people. That is inviting us to cry out to him. That is saying, if you come before me, if you bow out down on your knees, if you cry out, 
I will come and fight my, fight the battles for you. Hezekiah cried out, and God moved. Take a look. I love what happens next. That night, an angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian camp. And the people got up the next morning. They were all dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Next morning, they wake up, 185,000 men are killed. Here's a little reference. That is the population of Illyria, Lorraine, Avon, Avon Lake, Sheffield, Sheffield Lake combined. It's more than that. More than those combined. That's what God did in the blink of an eye overnight, and they woke up, and these men are dead, and God shows up in a mighty way. I'm just so amazed by our God. I'm so amazed by his ability to step in and say, listen, I hear your prayers and I'm willing. I'm, I'm big. I have big things and I'm, I'm, I'm holding the world together. I'm holding creation together. Yet I'm willing to step in to whatever situation you find yourself in. I'm, I'm willing to step in and make a difference. I'm willing to step in and change the narrative. I'm willing to step in and bring heaven down. Here's the thing about prayer. Every great move of God in history comes on the heels of prayer. When you think about revivals in our country, when you think about the great awakenings, when you think about church movements, when you think about new church growth, anything that happens, it comes when a group of people come together and are crying out to God. They're willing to come before him and say, Lord, we're asking you to move. When we pray, when we cry out to God, he moves in a big way. I love this verse here. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is an energized prayer. This is effective prayer, energized prayer. The prayer where we're crying out, where we're coming before the Lord with our pleas, when we're coming before the Lord with our burdens, with, with who God is, and we're coming before him, and we're laying it down, and we're saying, God, please, I, I beg you, I'm asking you, please work, please move. And when we come before him, when we cry out to him, when we bring that letter, because the reality is, this truth, when you pray, God moves. And when you live your life, you should live a life with, with holy expectation and anticipation that your prayer makes a difference. Then when we as a church cry out to God, it makes a difference. That God moves and hears his people cry. He invites us into that, into that, that relationship with him where we're crying out to him and we're watching him move. So, so maybe it's you going down and crying out to the Lord for that, that cancer diagnosis. Maybe you're, you're going to the Lord, you're taking it, you're laying it to the Lord, you're, you're saying, God, this is, this is a big burden. My, my family, I'm, I'm, I'm laying this before you on the throne. I'm laying this down in the temple floor. God, God I'm, bringing, I'm bringing the loss in our community, these broken families, I'm laying them down to you, Lord. I'm asking you to move. I'm coming before the three billion unreached in the world. God, I'm laying them down before you. God, God, I, I see uh, these natural disasters and these catastrophes. God, I'm begging you to do something. Use your people. I'm laying this down. It's taking all that we have, all of our burdens, everything that God's put in our heart and is coming before him and laying it down and say, God, please, we're asking you to move and move for your glory. God, we're asking you to step up. We're asking you to come down, bring heaven down and move for your glory. That is the posture of prayer. 
That is what I want us to be as a church. And when we have all these ideas and things we want to do, and maybe, maybe we're hurt by the church, or maybe we have these passions and ideas for how to reach people or, or what our church could look like, and we have, we have all these things we're kind of wrestling with, and we can have meetings and whiteboard conversations and come up with all these things, but if we're not on our knees before the Lord, and if we're not starting first by praying to him, saying, God, please, we're asking you to move. God, stir in our hearts. God, work around. Lord, we're calling you for who you are, Lord. We're going to set aside our idols. We're going to commit ourselves to you. If we're not doing that, then we are missing. We're, we're, we're missing what we're called to do. And so in your bulletins, I gave you some prayer prompts. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to take a look at these and, and take your bulletin home. And I want to encourage you to put these on your fridge and commit to pray these things. Take these things every day, to the Lord and lay them down and said, Lord, here are some burdens that I want to lay at your feet. Here are some specific prayers for our campus. Here are some specific things that I want to lay at your feet. And you come before the Lord and you say, God, I'm bringing these to you and I am laying them down because I have full anticipation that you are going to move. You are going to work. And and today, God, I'm calling and I'm asking you to step up come down, Lord, to, to be there. And, and, and I know, and I'm taking you at your word. In God's word, it says, the prayers of a righteous person, when we cry out, when the church cries out, it literally says in scripture that he will move, that it is effective. And because Hezekiah prayed, God heard his prayer and answered. So for us today, I want us to think about this. When we fight, we need to fight on our knees. When we, when we have ideas, when we have things we want to go before the Lord, we need to be taking them. We need to be taking that letter. God, here's what they say about you. God, here's the trials we're facing. God, here's the challenges. And I am laying them down, and I'm coming before you to pray. I'm coming, and I am fighting on my knees in prayer, Lord. I'm having a, a relationship and a conversation with you and you alone, and I'm crying out. It's not a passive prayer. It's an active prayer. Because that active, that passionate crying out changed the trajectory. One man prayed, and the whole trajectory of a nation was changed. It's such an amazing truth. And if there's one thing I can, I can just give you for, for, for takeaway is that prayer is important. If we could be anything, I want us to be a praying church. I want us to be a church that is on fire for God in prayer and that we have a direct line to the Father and through the Son and we have a beautiful communion and we are a church that is known as a praying church because I know God works and moves when his people pray. So I want to encourage you to stand up and we're going to sing together. And as we, as we cry out to God and as we sing, I want us to come before the Lord and I want us to say, Lord, I am crying out to you. I'm going to fight my battles. I'm going to fight on my knees in prayer and I want to watch you move with holy expectation and holy anticipation because we know our God is a powerful God who wants to move in our lives. God, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. God, thank you that you invited us to pray, Lord, that we can come on our knees and say, Lord, Lord, please move. We're crying out to you. May we not be passive in our prayer. May we not put prayer as just a tag on. May it be the main event, Lord. In our lives, may we be a praying church or a praying people because when we pray, you move. And I believe there's a movement in our community that you wanna do, God. So we're asking, Lord, bring heaven down 
Bring heaven down here in our church. Bring heaven down in our community. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.